Today we join our fellow workers around the world and link hands with them in celebration and solidarity. For only together can we hope to build a new world, one based not on borders, property, racist terror, gender and sexual binaries, corporate greed, and all this violence, but one based on cooperation, inclusion, equity, international solidarity, and real liberty and justice for every single human being. There were tablets that listed nearly a dozen people in the same family who were lynched at the same time. Father, mother, children, grandparents. How can a nation claim to be civilized and groom such horror? We've got our friends at CNN here. Welcome, guys. It's great to have you. You guys love breaking news. And you did it. You broke it. Good work. The most useful information on CNN is when Anthony Bourdain tells me where to eat noodles. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance and Alternative News from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. And on today's show, Voices from May Day, International Workers' Day, celebrated here in D.C. in solidarity with people around the country and around the world. And that performance by comedian Michelle Wolf at the White House Correspondence Center was on fire, making waves and controversy. And the response to it was proof positive that the corporate media can dish it out, or maybe they can dish it out, but they certainly can't take it. So this was definitely a week for people in D.C. standing up and raising their voices, speaking truth to power. And we'll get to all of it on this, another jam-packed show, starting with these headlines. Though May Day or International Workers' Day was started in the United States, it is mostly celebrated outside the U.S., while here we mark Labor Day in September. But now more working Americans are re-embracing the holiday. Chantel James attended D.C.'s May Day Festival and filed this report. It's been one, a beautiful day, particularly for May Day, a time in which we join together and we lift up the issues around justice and hope and bringing rights and dignity into the workplace and into the world. That was Reverend Graylin Hagler of Plymouth Congregational United Church of Christ this Tuesday. May Day in D.C. this year was commemorated with a rally, march, and festival in the brilliant sunshine. Fourteen local partner organizations, including BYP 100, Resist This, CASA, and Black Lives Matter D.C., came together to hold a rally at the Columbia Heights Civic Plaza. From there, they marched to Malcolm X Park for a festival featuring tabling from the partner organizations, interactive games like Pin the Strike Notice on the Capitalist Pocket, and speakers like Eugene Perrier of the Movement for Black Lives and Brian Becker of the Answer Coalition. Members of the labor movement here in D.C. took the opportunity to celebrate the workers of the world as well as to critique the capitalist system and advocate for change. Scott, a festival member, explains the significance of May Day. It's a historic day for workers' rights all over the world, and it's of critical, critical importance. But it's actually in critical importance both specifically in the issues of workers' rights, um, but that doesn't include just 
improved working conditions, hours, uh, wages, etc. But ideally, a completely transformed system of labor to begin with. But that's why Mayday is so important. Plus, everyone who's out here has a commitment to anti-fascism, and always has. This goes back to when IWW were you know, shooting it out with the Klan back in the day. Well, that's another crucial issue here. Opposition to fascism at home, opposition to war at abroad. From Malcolm X Park in Northwest D.C., this is Chantal James. Thank you, Chantel. We'll have more voices from May Day after headlines. And another march and mobilization occurred in D.C. April 18th through the 21st when black men and women from around the country convened to discuss strategies for liberation. Called the National Black Men's Convention, it was organized and hosted by Malik Zulu Shabazz, former leader of the new Black Panther Party and current president of Black Lawyers for Justice. On day two, Speaker Boyce Watkins told those packed into the ballroom of the historic Shiloh Baptist Church in Northwest D.C. that African-Americans must train youth to start businesses at a young age rather than just prepare to work for others. Speakers at the convention also included Professor James Small, Ilyasa Shabazz, Frank Malone, Professor Leonard Jeffries, Hashim Nzinga, Professor Griff, and many more. On Saturday, April 21st, more than a thousand of those gathered were led by the activist and author Cornel West in a march to the White House to protest the violent deaths of black men. In other Black Lives Matter news, the National Bailout Black Mamas campaign is happening again this year to unite mothers with their families and to draw attention to the true costs of the money bail system and mass incarceration. According to Color of Change, One of several organizations supporting the campaign, the $2 billion bail bond industry is profiting from the separation and destruction of black families. At least 80% of women caged behind bars are mothers, and most of them are not found guilty. Yet they are still in jail and separated from their families because they are simply too poor to afford bail. Those bailed out and campaign organizers posted a video message about the success of the campaign. Every day, over half a million people language in cages because they cannot afford their bail. This year, we set out to disrupt the bail system. The national bailout is an effort to end pretrial detention. Over the last eight months, we raised over a million dollars with your support. That million dollars contributed to local and national bail funds that got over 200 people free. We paid over $600,000 in bail. To connect with the Bailout Black Mama's Day, go to nomoremoneybail.org. That's nomoremoneybail.org. And this week, the wave of strikes by teachers for better wages and funding for public schools sort of converged in D.C. when those selected as Teachers of the Year from around the country met with Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. John Hazel, a Teacher of the Year from Oklahoma, expressed the sentiments of many in the room when he called for DeVos to listen to the concerns expressed by veteran educators. My question to you is, how, when do we start listening to those that are in charge of our students? When do we start listening to those teachers that are out there striking? Uh, teachers that are in their 50s and 60s that have been teaching for years that are finding this momentum and moving forward and knowing what's best for our students. 
After the meeting, teacher Mandy Manning of Spokane, Washington, received an award from Donald Trump. And at that time, she handed him a stack of letters from some of the teenage refugees she teaches in Spokane. Manning told the Associated Press, quote, I just had a very, very brief moment, so I made it clear that the students that I teach are dedicated and focused. They make the United States the beautiful place that it is, end quote. In Earth and Climate News, states representing 44% of the U.S. population are suing Trump's EPA for blocking auto emission standards. The standards are aimed at reducing air pollution and curbing the U.S. contribution to the global climate crisis. New York State Attorney General Howard Schneiderman, who was participating in the lawsuit, said in a video posted on Twitter that Trump and Pruitt ignored proof that existing standards were effective. We need these responsible emission standards in New York and across the country. They fight climate change, they cut air pollution, and they save drivers money. These are the types of common sense standards that are worth fighting for. A coalition made up of 17 states and the District of Columbia is backing the lawsuit. And now for international news, I'm joined by On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, the prolific professor and historian Gerald Horn. And Gerald, first I want to pick up on our conversation last week, this ongoing story that any day now Donald Trump is going to pull out of what is commonly known as the Iranian nuclear deal, under which Iran agreed to some arrangements to limit or eliminate its development of nuclear capability. And as you know, Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who holds hundreds of nuclear weapons that are never discussed, made a presentation this week accusing Iran of lying about compliance with the nuclear deal. And then Iran shot back saying that Netanyahu is the liar. So what's your take on the latest concerning this? Well, I must say I found Netanyahu's dog and pony show not very convincing but he backed it up in a sense with that brutal, bloody attack on Iranians who were embedded in Syria. He also was able to engineer a change in Israeli policy that allows not the entire cabinet of Israel, but the prime minister and defense minister to launch offensive attacks. And that, of course, brings us closer to a war. As you suggested, Donald J. Trump on May 12th is expected to bolt from the Iranian nuclear accord. I should also say that we should look at why this is taking place. The easy answer is oil in Israel. That is to say that if Iran is subjected to higher sanctions and more intense sanctions by the United States, that'll keep Iranian oil off the market and will boost oil oil prices and will benefit Texas oil men in the first place, many of whom are very close to Mr. Trump. The Secretary of State Michael Pompeo, as as you know, used to represent in Congress Wichita and is very close to the Koch brothers who have enormous interests in oil. And then there's the question of Israel, the fact that Israel sees Iran with its alliances with Syria and Hezbollah 
in Lebanon as a dire threat to its security, supposedly. But I think it's wider than that particular analysis. Uh, a conflict with Iran would also be a blow against France and Germany and the European Union. Now, that's one of the reasons, as you suggested, why Chancellor Merkel and President Macron were in Washington uh, last week precisely to talk Mr. Trump into not bolting from the accord because since the accord was inked, German and French corporations have invested heavily in Iran. But perhaps even more than that, it's a blow against Russia and China if Iran is drawn into a war or further sanctioned. China is investing billions in natural gas and oil in Iran. Iran is key to the so-called Belt and Road Initiative that China is spending about a trillion dollars on. And Pakistan, with its proximity to Iran, is a major link and node in this Belt and Road Initiative. And so it would be very disruptive to Chinese interests if Iran were to be attacked or sanctioned. And as you know, as we speak, the Gang of Seven, led by Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Economic Advisor Lawrence Cutlow, are in Beijing, supposedly negotiating with China to avert a trade war. But I dare say that they're probably going to fail because one of their major demands is that China back away from its Made in China 2025 plan, which envisions envisions China as the global leader in artificial intelligence and green energy and autonomous vehicles and quantum computing and all the rest. And somehow, Mr. Trump says he does not want to see China pursue that bold visionary plan. It's also a blow against Russia, that is to say, this conflict with Iran. Uh, Iran is slated to become a full member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is the Chinese and Russian uh, version or mirror image, if you like, or opposite image, I should say, of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, Russia is exporting uh, missile defense systems uh, to Iran and other arms. So the dates to watch, it seems to me, are not only May 12th, when Mr. Trump is suspected to make his decision, but also May 14th, when the U.S. Embassy is slated to open in Jerusalem, which is seen as a slap in the face, not only of Palestinians, but the Islamic world generally. And then May 15th, uh, when Ramadan, that holy period for the Islamic world, begins, and Israel might feel that it can catch Iran sleeping or napping if it attacks on Ramadan, and then, of course, by May 19th, we should have a further idea of where the situation is going, which, of course, happens to be the birthday of Malcolm X, Augusto Sandino of Nicaragua, and Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam. So would China or Russia be obligated to follow renewed sanctions by the U.S.? I mean, would they be obligated to adhere to these new sanctions when they have nothing to do with them, and if they don't even agree with the sanctions? Given the fact that a good deal of international trade takes place with the U.S. dollar, that gives the United States a nexus by which to pressure these particular countries. Not only that, but the international banking system is heavily influenced by U.S. banks, and then, of course, the United States could probably block Russia, China, and many EU countries from doing business with this large U.S. market, 
if they do not adhere to the U.S. line on Iran. And this is taking place, in any case, in the context of the United States, uh, probably by June 1st, uh, slapping sanctions on German steel and other exports. And as we speak, as already suggested, there is an incipient trade war taking place with China. And I think that these countries do not want that kind of confrontation with the United States. Now, you mentioned China, and there was also news this week about China's growing cooperation with African countries, particularly Nigeria. Well, you are correct. Uh, First of all, the president of Nigeria was just in Washington uh, just a few days ago, and he was criticized very sharply by his predecessor, uh, President Obasanjo of Nigeria. I think that many in the Pan-African world were disappointed that Mr. Buhari seemed to be understanding of Mr. Trump criticizing the African continent as being replete with uh, so-called crap holes. Uh, Mr. Buhari did not publicly at least disagree with that and in fact gave sustenance to that insulting argument. Uh, Mr. Buhari himself has been ill. He spent a good deal of his term in a hospital uh, in London At the same time, uh, problems in Nigeria are proliferating not only Boko Haram, the religious zealots who have captured global headlines about kidnapping uh, teenage uh, girls, but also you have this proliferating problem of climate change in Nigeria that's causing uh, Fulani herdsmen to move steadily south and attack those who are not of their particular ethnic group or their particular religion. But... The good news, as you suggested, is that relations between China and Nigeria are heightening. Uh, They basically engineered a currency swap whereby they can trade not in the U.S. dollar, which is the norm for many countries, but they can trade in the Nigerian currency and in the Chinese currency. And that'll be a pure jolt of adrenaline to bilateral relations between Abuja and Beijing. And then finally, since we spoke last week, the Reverend James Cone, credited as a founder of Black Liberation Theology, joined the ancestors at the age of 79. So I wanted to get your take on the contribution of the Black Liberation Theology to the overall struggle for human rights. It made an enormous contribution. James Cone, in particular, made an enormous contribution, not only with his teaching at Union Theological Seminary in Manhattan and his scholarship, particularly his book on Martin and Malcolm X, Martin Luther King and and Malcolm X, but also in terms of the way he inspired other similarly situated clerics. I'm speaking of the Reverend Jeremiah Wright who you may recall at one time was a pastor to Barack Obama in Chicago before some of his uh, more spirited comments about racism were unveiled, which caused Mr. Obama to put distance between Reverend Wright and himself, and not to mention Cornell West, the Harvard scholar. They're all part of this prophetic tradition uh, in Christianity, particularly the black Christianity, which I would argue actually transcends the borders of the United States. Uh, You may recall that John Shalimwe, uh, who is a national hero in Malawi, the Southern African country, could fairly be considered a proponent of black liberation theology, uh, not to mention the African Orthodox Church of Southern Africa. And, of course, there are these companion ideas that are embedded in the liberation theology of Latin America, which is reflected in the fact that at the time of the Sandinista Revolution in Nicaragua in 1979, 
a number of priests were in the forefront of that progressive trend. So I think that we all should salute uh, James Cone, who has joined the ancestors. He will sorely be missed. Well, I'm sure you know there's actually been this controversy swirling around the chaplain for the U.S. House of Representatives, Father Patrick Conroy. And this week, he rescinded his resignation. He had been asked to resign by House Speaker Paul Ryan after Conroy included in a prayer that the new tax code should be fair to all Americans. And apparently, just this very mild statement was enough to make Paul Ryan ask for him to resign. But anyway, he rescinded the resignation and Paul Ryan said, you know, he could stay. And so, you know, just the idea that something small like this makes it really clear that the role that James Cone carved out, you know, making, you know, the the gospel one that acknowledges, you know, poor and working people is just really so special. And, and the example that he set, you know, for the clergy speaking up for the 99% will certainly be missed. Hear, hear. Well, I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. I thank you very much for joining me the, today, Gerald. Thank you. And finally, in culture and media, the history of resistance at Howard University will be the subject of the continuing Talk on Race series at Busboys and Poets, Sunday, May 6th, 5 to 7 p.m. at the 14th and V location in Northwest D.C. And in theaters, there's the documentary RBG about the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in telling the story of her life. You know, RBG is a celebration of the human spirit. You know, the movie reveals how in the 1970s, Ginsburg walked in the footsteps of Thurgood Marshall, laying the legal groundwork for women's rights as Marshall had laid the groundwork for the rights of African-Americans in preceding decades. And finally, that national monument and museum dedicated to thousands of African-Americans murdered by lynch mobs is open in Montgomery, Alabama. Makani Temba was there at the opening and filed this report. I had the honor and the opportunity to spend time at the both the memorial and the museum for peace and justice in Montgomery, Alabama. And it was an amazing day. It was so special, even with all the celebrity sightings and the crowds. I just appreciated the reverence with which people came. I watched the musician and star Dave Matthews walk through with his children and thoughtfully explain the stories and their meaning. I ran into civil rights heroes and sheroes and listened to the hope in their voice as another day had come, another milestone witness that they did not think they'd look to see. I watched families find the names of ancestors on their solemn tablets and finger the letters lovingly. These are the ones whose names we know. There were tablets that listed nearly a dozen people in the same family who were lynched at the same time. Father, mother, children, grandparents. How can a nation claim to be civilized and groom such horror? The place hummed with ancestral energy, emotion pouring through us as tears, as rage, as no tears left as silence. It was as if you could feel them, ancestors, wisp about your face, rest in your chest, until you uttered their name. 
Dave Matthews dedicated his set to the memory of one such man who was lynched in his hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, John Henry James. Stevie Wonder was moved to sing Swing Down Sweet Chariot. John Baptiste sang and played a deeply moving rendition of the Black National Anthem, and we got up and rose to our feet to sing along. Questlove had the best t-shirt of the night, and it read, Kanye West doesn't care about black people. <laughs> and I ran into sorors and sisters, comrades and colleagues. I'm a fount of feelings. And rolling solo to the concert meant I got to tuck into the feels even more. But all that changed. Because Kirk Franklin took the stage and made us all hug three people we didn't know and tell them I love you. And like always, love breaks and casts a spell. This is Makani Tumba, and I'm glad to have an opportunity to share with you my day at the Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama. Thank you so much, Makani. And those are headlines and happenings. When we come back, voices from May Day in D.C. 2018. Stay with us. Can't hold me down, there's no gravity in my universe Those rules don't exist to me, you don't believe me, you can search Feeling bittersweet, now it's cavities in your tooth that hurts Cause it doesn't work when you're grabbing me, trying to pull me down The earth backstabbing me as I prove my worth If you bite in my style, then who was first? If you bite in my dust, then who was first? Geek down, trying to act wild, don't make it worse I speak the truth when I spit, call it a naked verse St. John, when I spit, let me take you to church uh. Amen, amen, trying to intimidate me And you just, amen And you dealing with an ill super saiyan With a wide vision in the game plan Call that full brain John Illa J, yeah, see that's my full name Great bonds on steroids, that's my full swing And I'm out the park, ghetto superstar Spit stupid boss so today we join our fellow workers around the world and link hands with them in celebration and solidarity. For only together can we hope to build a new world, one based not on borders, property, racist terror, gender and sexual binaries, corporate greed, and all this violence, but one based on cooperation, inclusion, equity, international solidarity, and real liberty and justice for every single human being. <laughs> Our struggle here in D.C. is connected to the struggle of our fellow workers around the globe. Here in the United States, in the belly of the imperialist beast, we fight a daily struggle against the forces of capitalist oppression wherever we find them. Whether it be slumlords who seek to evict us from our homes so that they can build overpriced dorm rooms for young risk professionals, or the coming headquarters of the very representation of late-stage monopoly capitalism, Amazon. We stand ready to lock arms with our comrades and fight the good fight. Rest assured, we will fight the coming of Amazon's headquarters and the new corporate flock that it promises to bring into our city. Yeah. Indeed, Woo. we fought the current administration on J20 and are still fighting against the state crackdown on the real resistance against Trump. We fight the city council as they continue to not only allow, but to reward developers who are rapidly gentrifying this former chocolate city. 
We fight ICE as they continue to break up families and deport our immigrant brothers and sisters. In short, where capitalism wants to oppress us, we stand ready to fight it. But we can't fight alone, and only a strong, united working class can succeed against the forces of state violence, imperialism, and exploitation. So that's why I want to give a warm welcome to all of the great organizations gathered here today to showcase the fights they engage in and continue to build the united movement towards the change we need. The abolition of oppressive systems that perpetuate exploitative wages, housing insecurity, and mass incarceration in our city, and replace with political power in which workers lead the way. We urge everyone here to speak with and become involved in the many struggles with which our partners are gathered here today and are fighting in because only together can we win a new world. Next speaker, we have Karina from CASA. Hello everyone, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure to be here. I'm very happy um, to be celebrating International Workers' Day. I remember when I was working as a housekeeping staff, it was something that, it was not easy and it's, it's very, it's very good to feel recognized during a day that a lot of our families are working together, that are working day in, day out, in which we have to sacrifice, uh, in which we have to sacrifice a lot of our time so that the future generations can have a better life. And a lot of times we have to think about what our community is doing to survive day in and day out. With this administration, a lot of what we're seeing is hate towards our communities, hate towards our individuals, hate towards our children. Why? Because they're not taking the steps necessary to protect our children, our communities, and our, our families. So what we're here doing today is, is doing that, is organizing, is protecting our families, and we're going to continue working so that today after today, we win battles that we thought we were not possible. So let's keep the fight, let's keep organizing, and let's keep moving forward so that tomorrow we can call it our day because we are working here, we are present, and there's no one who's going to be able to stop us. Thank you. All right, we have located the dear reverend. He is on his way, just trying to find parking in our beautiful city. So stay here, it's just like one or two minutes, and then we're gonna have a wonderful closeout. It's been one, a beautiful day, particularly for May Day. A time in which we join together and we lift up the issues around justice and hope and bringing rights and dignity into the workplace and into the world. One thing that we're trying to do, as you know, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was murdered. Was murdered in Memphis, Tennessee, as he was organizing a poor people's campaign. Basically, in that campaign was saying that an edifice that produces beggars is something that needs to be restructured. To really talk about the restructuring of the economics in America, to begin to create a kind of critical understanding of what takes place in this country and to realize that we got to really restructure the economics of this country in order for people to be treated fairly, for justice to prevail, and for workers to be treated right, and for the least of these to have the same kind of dignity and respect that everybody else claimed to have. So we're organizing the Poor People's Campaign, not one day of action. 
It's going to be 40 days of action as a beginning. And that's going to begin on the Monday after Mother's Day. The Monday after Mother's Day, that's May. Help me, somebody. May 14th, right? May 14th. The Monday, and, and what's going to happen, it's not only going to happen in Washington, D.C., but it's Washington, D.C. and 40 states that are going to be engaged in actions every Monday, every Tuesday, and through the week for 40 days, basically raising up the issue. Because one thing that we realize that has been going on is that the rich has gotten richer, poor has gotten poor, that there has been an elite that has the voice to try to control the narrative that exists in this country. And it's time we, the people, take the narrative back and make it our narrative and speak and talk and deal with things that folks don't want us to talk and deal with. And we're looking at this 40 days of action, not as an ending, but hopefully and prayerfully a beginning. Now on this Sunday, at 7 p.m. at New York at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, the Reverend William Barber will be there to speak on the issues of militarism and peace and to raise up the contradiction that clearly you can put all this money and resources into the Pentagon and into the military and avoid putting it into public housing, affordable housing, into neighborhoods and in schools. And in fact, we gave the military more than even the military asked for. But if you ask for what should be deserved in public education, you got to fight on your hands. So we're going to address that issue because it is linked to the whole. That what we spend and send into the military basically robs the neighborhoods and the communities of the resources that the neighborhoods and communities should have to preserve housing and education, to preserve what all of us need. And so we're going to urge and ask that you be there if you can on this Sunday, 7 p.m. at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, and then to particularly be with us on May 14th as we step off at 2 p.m. down at the U.S. Capitol. Now I want to say that there's going to be mass arrests that are going to take place over this 40-day period. Mass arrests here in Washington, D.C., and mass arrests in 40 separate states around the country because we aim to drive a message that clearly what is going on is not no longer a time for intellectual debate. But it's time to put our bodies on the line. It's time to stand up and be what we're called to be, which is people of conscience and goodwill. But we're requiring people, if you're going to be arrested, you got to go through some training. Because we want to act as a unit out there. We want to act in cooperatively out there. We don't, we don't want folks to act as individualists. But we're going to basically be able to drive home our message together when we stand together. And have the discipline to stand together. You can find out... Uh, where uh, some of those trainings will take place by going to poorpeoplescampaign.org and you can sign up online and from there you will begin to get communications from the campaign about different trainings, different actions, different days. And so I'm inviting you to be a part, to make May Day a real reality because we are the people and we are 
the workers and we are the people of color and we are the people of justice and we are the people that bring hope. We are the people that speak truth to liars, whether they're in the White House or in Congress. We are the people that dare not go back because we can't afford to go back. Nobody's going to put me on an auction block. What about you? Revlin Hagler, that was wonderful. One more round of applause for him. If you're just tuning in, you've been hearing voices speaking at the May Day Rally March and Festival held May 1st, 2018, celebrating International Workers' Day in D.C. This is On the Ground, on thegroundshow.org, on Pacifica Radio. Now, if you want to hear what comedian Michelle Wolf said to the White House Correspondents' Dinner on April 28th, with some modifications for radio, stay with us. We'll be right back with Michelle Wolf. Welcome, Michelle Wolf. All right, this is long. This has been long. Yeah. Good evening, good evening. Here we are, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Like a porn star says when she's about to have sex with a Trump, let's get this over with. (laughs) Yep, kiddos, this is who you're getting tonight. I'm going to skip a lot of the normal pleasantries. We're at a Hilton. It's not nice. This is on C-SPAN. No one watches that. Trump is president. It's not ideal. White House Correspondent Association, thank you for having me. The monkfish was fine. And just a reminder to everyone, I'm here to make jokes. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to get anything accomplished. So everyone that's here from Congress, you should feel right at home. (laughs) Now, before we get too far, a little bit about me. A lot of you might not know who I am. I'm 32 years old, which is an odd age. 10 years too young to host this event and 20 years too old for Roy Moore. (laughs) I know, he almost got elected. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Honestly, I never really thought I'd be a comedian, but I did take an aptitude test in seventh grade, and this is 100% true. 
I took an aptitude test in seventh grade and it said my best profession was a clown or a mime. <laughs> well, at first it said clown and then I heard my voice and was like, or maybe mime. <laughs> Think about mime. And I know as much as some of you might want me to, it's 2018 and I'm a woman, so you cannot shut me up. Unless you have Michael Cohen wire me $130,000. Michael, you can find me on Venmo under my porn star name, Reince Priebus. <laughs> Reince just gave a thumbs up. Okay. Uh, now, people are saying America is more divided in, than ever, but I think no matter what you support politically, we can all agree that this is a great time for craft stores. Because of all the, pro of all the protests, poster board has been flying off the shelves faster than Robert Mueller can say, you've been subpoenaed. <laughs> and thanks to Trump, pink yarn sales are through the roof. There is a lot to cover tonight. There's a lot to go over. I can't get to everything. I know there's a lot of people that want me to talk about Russia and Putin and collusion, but I'm not gonna do that because there's also a lot of liberal media here. And I've never really wanted to know what any of you look like when you orgasm. <laughs> Except for maybe you, Jake Tapper. I bet it's something like this. Okay, that's all the time we have. that the Trump campaign was in contact with Russia when the Hillary campaign wasn't even in contact with Michigan. <laughs> it's a direct flight. It's so close. Of course, Trump isn't here, if you haven't noticed. He's not here. And I know, I know, I would drag him here myself, but it turns out the President of the United States is the one pussy you're not allowed to grab. <laughs> he said it first. Yeah. Good. Now, I know people really want me to go after Trump tonight, but I think we should give the president credit when he deserves it. Like, he pulled out of the Paris Agreement, and I think he should get credit for that because he said he was going to pull out, and then he did, and that's a refreshing quality in the man. <laughs> Most men are like, I forgot. I'll get you next time. Oh, there's going to be a next time? When people say romance is dead. <laughs> people call Trump names all the time. And look, I could call Trump a racist or a misogynist or xenophobic or unstable or incompetent or impotent. But he's heard all of those and he doesn't care. So tonight, I'm going to try to make fun of the president in a new way. In a way that I think will really get him. Mr. President, I don't think you're very rich. Like, I think you might be rich in Idaho, but in New York, you're doing fine. Trump is the only person that still watches who wants to be a millionaire and thinks, me. Although, I'm not sure you'd get very far. He'd get to, like, the third question and be like, I have to phone a fox and friend. 
We're going to try a fun new thing, okay? I'm going to say Trump is so broke, and you guys go, how broke is he? All right? Trump is so broke. How broke is he? He has to fly failed business class. <laughs> Trump is so broke. He looked for foreign oil in Don Jr.'s hair. Trump is so broke. He, he, Southwest used him as one of their engines. I know, it's so soon. It's so soon for that joke. Why did she tell it? It's so soon. Trump is so broke. Uh, he had to borrow money from the Russians and now he's compromised and not susceptible to blackmail and possibly responsible for the collapse of the Republic. Yay! It's a fun game. Trump is racist, though. He loves white nationalists, which is a weird term for a Nazi. Calling a Nazi a white nationalist is like calling a pedophile a kid friend. Or Harvey Weinstein, a ladies' man. Which isn't really fair. He also likes plants. <laughs> Trump's also an idea guy. He's got loads of ideas. You gotta love him for that. He wants to give teachers guns. And I support that. Because then they can sell them for things they need, like supplies. <laughs> a lot of protractors. A lot of people want Trump to be impeached. I do not. Because just when you think Trump is awful, you remember Mike Pence. Mike Pence is what happens when Anderson Cooper isn't gay. Mike Pence is the kind of guy that brushes his teeth and then drinks orange juice and thinks, mmm. Mike Pence is also very anti-choice. He thinks abortion is murder, which, first of all, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you got to get that baby out of there. And yeah, sure, you can groan all you want. I know a lot of you are very anti-abortion, you know, unless it's the one you got for your secret mistress. <laughs> it's fun how values can waver. But good for you. Mike Pence is a weirdo, though. He's a weird little guy. He, might, he won't meet with other women without his wife present. When people first heard this, they were like, that's crazy. But now in this current climate, they're like, that's a good witness. <laughs> Which, of course, brings me to the Me Too movement. It's probably the reason I'm here. They were like, a woman's probably not going to jerk off in front of anyone, right? And to that I say, don't count your chickens. There's a lot of parties. Now, I've worked in a lot of male-dominated fields. Before comedy, I worked at a tech company. And before that, I worked on Wall Street. And honestly, I've never really been sexually harassed. That being said, I did work at Bear Stearns in 2008. So although I haven't been sexually harassed, I've definitely been f***ed. <laughs> yeah, that whole company went down on me without my consent. And no man got in trouble for that one either. <laughs> no, things are changing. Men are being held accountable. You know, uh, Al Franken was ousted. That one really hurt liberals. 
But I believe it was the great Ted Kennedy who said, wow, that's crazy. I murdered a woman. <laughs> Chemiquitic in theaters now. I did have a lot of jokes. I had a lot of jokes about cabinet members, but I had to scrap all of those because everyone has been fired. You guys are going through cabinet members quicker than Starbucks throws out black people. No, don't worry, they ha they're having an afternoon. That'll solve it. We just needed an afternoon. Mitch McConnell isn't here tonight. He had a prior engagement. He's finally getting his neck circumcised. Mazel. Paul Ryan also couldn't make it. Of course, he's already been circumcised. Unfortunately, while they were down there, they also took his <laughs> Yeah, bye, Paul. Great acting, though, in that video. Now, Republicans are easy to make fun of, you know? It's like shooting fish in a Chris Christie. But I also want to make fun of Democrats. Democrats are harder to make fun of because you guys don't do anything. <laughs> People think you might flip the House and Senate this November, but you guys always find a way to mess it up. You're somehow going to lose by 12 points to a guy named Jeff Pedophile Nazi Doctor. <laughs> oh, he's a doctor? <laughs> we should definitely talk about the women in the Trump administration. There's Kellyanne Conway. Man, she has the perfect last name for what she does. Conway. It's like if my name was Michelle Jokes Frizzy Hair Small You guys gotta stop putting Kellyanne on your shows. All she does is lie. If you don't give her a platform, she has nowhere to lie. It's like that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods, how do we get Kellyanne under that tree? I'm not suggesting she gets hurt, just stuck. <laughs> stuck under a tree. Incidentally, a tree falls in the woods is Scott Pruitt's definition of porn. Yeah, we all have our kinks. There's also, of course, Ivanka. She was supposed to be an advocate for women, but it turns out she's about as helpful to women as an empty box of tampons. She's done nothing to satisfy women. So I guess, like father, like daughter. Oh, you don't think he's good in bed. Come on. She does clean up nice, though. Ivanka cleans up nice. She's the diaper genie of the administration. On the outside, she looks sleek, but the inside, it's still full of <laughs> And of course, we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. I have to say, I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia on The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Mike Pence, if you haven't seen it, you would love it. Every time Sarah steps up to the podium, I get excited because I'm not really sure what we're going to get. You know, a press briefing, a bunch of lies, or divided into softball teams. It's shirts and skins, and this time don't be such a little bitch, Jim Acosta.
like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like she burns facts and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. <laughs> like maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. sure what to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, is it Sarah Sanders? Is it Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it Cousin Huckabee? Is it Auntie Huckabee Sanders? Like, what's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? Oh, I know, Aunt Coulter. We've got our friends at CNN here. Welcome, guys. It's great to have you. You guys love breaking news, and you did it. You broke it. Good work. The most useful information on CNN is when Anthony Bourdain tells me where to eat noodles. Fox News is here, so you know what that means, ladies. Cover your drinks. Seriously. People want me to make fun of Sean Hannity tonight, but I cannot do that. This dinner's for journalists. We've got MSNBC here. MSNBC's new slogan is, this is who we are. Guys, it's not a good slogan. <laughs> this is who we are is what your mom thinks the sad show on NBC is called. Did you watch This Is Who We Are this week? Someone left on a crock pot and everyone died. I watch Morning Joe every morning. We now know that Mika and Joe are engaged. Congratulations, you guys. It's like when a Me Too works out. We also, Rachel Maddow, we cannot forget about Rachel Maddow. She's the Peter Pan of MSNBC. But instead of never growing up, she never gets to the point. <laughs> Watching Rachel Maddow is like going to Target. You went in for milk, but you left with shampoo, candles, and the entire history of the Byzantine Empire. I didn't need this. And of course, Megyn Kelly. What would I do without Megyn Kelly? You know, probably be more proud of women. <laughs> Megyn Kelly got paid $23 million by NBC. Then NBC didn't let Megyn go to the Winter Olympics. Why not? She's so white, cold, and expensive, she might as well be the Winter Olympics. <laughs> and by the way, Megyn, Santa's black. The weird old guy going through your chimney was Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> You might want to put a flu on it or something. There's a lot of print media here. There's a ton of you guys, but I'm not going to go after print media tonight because it's illegal to attack an endangered species. <laughs> by newspapers. There's a ton of news right now. A lot is going on, and we have all these 24-hour news networks, and we could be covering everything, but instead we're covering like three topics. Every hour, it's Trump, Russia, Hillary, and a panel of four people that remind you why you don't go home for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Milk comes from nuts now, all because of the gays. <laughs> you guys are obsessed with Trump. Did you used to date him? 
because you pretend like you hate him, but I think you love him. I think what no one in this room wants to admit is that Trump has helped all of you. He couldn't sell steaks or vodka or water or college or ties or Eric. <laughs> But he has helped you. He's helped you sell your papers and your books and your TV. You helped create this monster and now you're profiting off of him. And if you're gonna profit off of Trump, you should at least give him some money because he doesn't have any. <laughs> Trump is so broke. He grabs because he thinks there might be loose change in them. All right, like an immigrant who was brought here by his parents and didn't do anything wrong. I gotta get out of here. Good night. Clint still doesn't have clean water. And that reminder about Flint, Michigan from comedian Michelle Wolf will do it for today's show. I want to thank again Chantel James, Lydia Curtis, Makani Temba, and Gerald Horn. The music we played this hour included Empire State of Mind with Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. They Can't Hold Me Down by Miles Davis and Robert Glasper featuring Illa J. And Party Up, Up in Here by DMX. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. You can reach out to us and also listen to complete versions of our shows on our website, onthegroundshow.org. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. I'm Esther Averam. Until next week, keep raising your voice. Peace. Peace.